0: All right. Cool, man. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. This is uh, super excited to dive into everything, dive into your story, man. We uh, got connected through IG and pretty much right away, right when I saw your content, I just connected with a lot of it It really resonated with me. And I think you have a ton of value to offer, not only to me, but to any of the people who choose to listen. So if you want to introduce yourself, man, let you introduce yourself and just kind of tell tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently, and then maybe we can dive into a little bit of your story.
1: Okay, yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so, Dylan Warder, uh, I currently run a company called I Believe in You. So, it's this bracelet here. So, the bracelets are designed to be worn until you're inspired to give them away. And then inside the patch is an NFC tag. So, you tap to the back of your phone, it opens up our app, and right there we could document. You know how we met why i was inspired to give it to you maybe leave a positive message for the next person so that one's for you
0: oh thank you brother appreciate it um, i
1: actually got two packs for you right here oh thank you so, bro. yeah oh these are sick dude uh so they're really they're designed to be warned so you're inspired to give it away and uh say you and i meet in a coffee shop or anywhere in the world and through our conversation maybe i learned that you're going through something stressful depression. Uh, cancer, maybe a divorce, a breakup, anything on the negative side, or maybe something on the positive side, maybe you just quit your job to pursue a dream finally, or maybe you just graduated college, going to the workforce, anything where I would be inspired to tell you, I believe in you and leave you with something as a reminder to keep going, I take it off my wrist, I give it to you, you tap to the back of your phone, and that's when, once you document on it, whether we do it together or you do it later, because sometimes it's in passing and it's a quick exchange, once you do that, say six people had it before me, you'll be able to see everywhere it's traveled in the world on its way to you, who's had it and stories and impact that's made on their life. And then once you give it away, you'll forever get to see where it goes, who gets it, and the impact it continues to make.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Thank you Thank for giving you. this to me, man. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I, th- I was doing a little bit of research on I believe in you. I, r- I really like, I saw like one of your guys' descriptions or, or whatever, like one of the little paragraphs that you were describing the company. And it said like it integrates, Where one of the missions is to integrate technology with I can't remember how you worded it, but with like
1: just human compassion connection, like, yeah, something yeah. like that. And yeah. I think
0: I think that's really cool to see, man. I think it's I haven't seen anything like that before, at least I haven't. But um, yeah, I think the the overall idea is super powerful and um, super interesting. How'd you get started with I believe in you? Where d- where did the idea come from? Because it's a really cool idea.
1: Thanks. So it's not my idea, but I've played a, a large role in the development of where it's at now. Uh, the idea came from my business partner, Braxton who was speaking at a middle school of 1,500 kids, and the day before the principal called. It's like, hey, Braxton, we're super excited to have you. Just want to kind of remind you what some of these kids are going through. She speaks for 10 minutes, and at the end, he says, yes, ma'am, I'll be there. And very quickly, he realizes he wrote the wrong speech, and he has a much bigger responsibility than he realized, because these kids were going through some shit. So he had an apparel company at the time prints out a uh, stack of 1,500 stickers that say, I believe in you on them. Because really, like, these kids needed hope. They needed just somebody to believe in them. So he does a speech, hands out the stickers, and tells the kids, I believe in you, but these aren't for you. Pass these to a friend, a teacher, your parents when you get home, the mailman, doesn't matter, pass this message to somebody else. Very quickly, uh, that went viral. And the school... Principal calls back a few days later, tells them we've never had our kids treat each other this kindly, treat the community this kindly. We got community members calling in asking for more. The whole thing. That long story short turned into a bracelet. That then, because of the impact of the bracelet, stories come in of people not committing suicide because in this last moment, some random person gives them this bracelet and tells them, "I believe in you." It all started to stack up and. Braxton realized that everybody else need to be able to see the stories that were being sent to him. He's being tagged 100 times on Instagram and social media daily. And so it very quickly took off, went viral, NBC News, NFL Network, everybody gets behind it. This was like seven years ago. Okay. And he's like 20 years old. That's crazy. He has no idea what he's doing, really. Just a brilliant idea and a big heart. Grew up in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Uh, and doesn't know anything about business. Doesn't know what to do with this like idea that's picking up so much traction. So he ends up being in a position where he can't afford the app bracelet sales, aren't going to generate enough revenue for it. He doesn't really, he's not in a position where he can really trust anybody. Cause everybody sees this gold mine and wants a piece. So he painfully puts it on pause to go learn business. And ends up scaling a marketing agency over the last six years, and along the way, eventually hoping to meet the right people to build it with him. And so we he ended up driving from moving from Texas to here, and on his way in the like middle of New Mexico in a Penske truck, texts uh, or DMs my, myself and my business partner Joey, telling us that he's coming out and uh, wants to meet up and so we meet become best friends for a whole year and then he finally tells us about this business that he's had p- on pause for like 5 years at that point
0: what was your reaction when he t- finally told you what the fuck <laughs> dude
1: like it, 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 and the thing is like we were out to dinner and he had never told us about it and we're spent like we're like brothers at this point we yeah, spent bros. the yeah. majority of a year together and he uh Where's he's wearing this bracelet well, at dinner. I brought a bunch of CEOs and founders, um, some my other clients together for a dinner and I'm s- sitting next to him at dinner. I see the bracelet and says, I believe you know, I'm like, dude, where'd you get that? That's so dope. And he was reluctant to tell me. And finally I get it out of him. And he starts telling me this whole story in much more detail. Him and I are both choking up at dinner, like about to cry. And I'm like, you got to tell the entire table right now. And then because... <laughs> you that guy, huh? Like, oh, yeah. 100%. percent Like, you, everybody has to hear this. <laughs> and a part of the issue was that he couldn't afford the app. And so I had an app developer at the end of the table. Immediately brought him down, introduced him to him, and I felt like I could facilitate this deal. A couple weeks go by. He kind of like brushed it off. A couple weeks go by. I show up at his office. And I'm like, listen, bro. Let me let me just put a dinner together, facilitate something. Like, that guy's got to... Not only is, he's not, not only is he like-minded, but he's like hearted. I think I can, I can figure something out for you and just, I just wanted to help. And it's like 2021, we're coming off of 2020. Like the world needs this shit. Yeah. And he said, no, I'm like, well, what do you want? And he said, I want you and Joey to partner with me and take it to the moon. And at that point we were scaling our consulting company conversions. And that was the day that that company started to die. Really? <laughs> yeah, because we're you know that we were both on the same mission. We were just taking a different route. And this, you know, it's the whole idea of I like cast a vision that's that's or that's an umbrella that encompasses other people's visions, and you'll bring in a players to to deliver the you know complete that mission. Yeah. And that's exactly what he had done. Uh, so yeah, we've been building it for two and a half years now. Uh, got our investors. We got the app built. It's in stores and Google, Apple. Uh, we did a limited release in May just to get bracelets out there, get feedback on the app, figure out all the tweaks and everything before we say yes to all the insane relationships that we've been building over the years with A-list celebrities and uh, companies like First Floor and I saw it was in here, uh, bio, things like that. So that's uh right right now we're probably about three months out from launch. We got a few more features we gotta get into the app to really make it what we want it to be to confidently say yes to big brands that want to release it into their you know uh, subscription boxes or into their organization for mental health initiatives and things of that nature. So we're almost there. It's been a long road and it's taught us a lot of patience and a lot of delayed gratification, but we're, we're close.
0: Yeah. So seven years, right? You said that's like yeah,
1: seven years for him. It's been a and a half. We've been building it with Braxton for two and a half. We're coming up on three years And now.
0: you're just now getting ready to launch. Yeah. Damn, man. That's a, yep. that's a journey for sure. Yeah. Where did, uh, like I went and did a little bit of research into your story, man. Uh, you got a pretty interesting story. Let's, let's take it back to kind of like the beginning of like your story, man. If you, if you want to talk a little bit about it, yeah. I read your, you know, your blog and everything like that. And I think it's, there's a lot of value there so i don't know where you want to start it at but just like where did everything start for you you know okay
1: uh i guess childhood wise condensing the first probably 20 years of my life very quickly grew up somewhat rough uh only white kid at the community center uh arrested first time was or my first arrest was at 13 years old was arrested four times between 13 and 18 for burglary which ironically was a police officer's house. Oh wow. <laughs> and he came home while we were inside. Oh wow. In his police car, not knowing we were there.
0: Oh my god, that's And I'm that's like crazy. standing in
1: the in this big bay window and he pulls in and it was a whole thing. But so that was the first one then I had fights, drug charges, last one was literally in the middle of a varsity soccer game. I was captain, a f- huge fight broke out and I sprinted across the, across the field to like protect my guys and ended up like in full sprint, Superman punched this dude oh, in the shit. face and split his face open and they ended up pressing charges.
0: And yeah, like real, real fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so, but during that time period, growing up at the community center, only white kid, I had a very diverse group of friends. Uh, you know, we'd be walking at night and police would stop us and they'd treat me different. And I knew it was because I was white. They treated me better and it pissed me off. Uh, NYPD... I think my second or third arrest, NYPD beat the shit out of me. I had a lot of negative experience with the police and I had my older cousin, Jenna, who babysat me all the time, ingrained the be the change you wish to see in the world quote into my head. And so eventually getting pissed off at all these experiences, knowing that part of them were my fault, but also being treated poorly by the police unwarrantedly, I realized, okay, well, somebody needs to do this job better. And it's gotta be so like, it's gotta be me. Like I gotta do this. And so I pursued that while also pursuing uh, military, but because of my criminal record, I was getting denied from every branch of the military. Every two years, I kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, got denied from probably 50 plus police departments. Damn. And then New Orleans was finally desperate enough to take me.
0: Okay. So this was in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. got you. And,
1: uh, so I went through the police Academy seven months came out and about three weeks into me being on the job as a rookie riding with a field training officer. One of the guys on my platoon was shot and killed. They did a, the shift before him did a bad search on a guy who had been shooting at his girlfriend and they put him in the car, not knowing he had a gun on him. Wow. They were at the end of their shift didn't want to take him to lockup, so they gave it to, gave the prisoner to uh, one of our officers that was just coming on, and they pulled away a few blocks from the station, oh, he retrieves a gun, shoots him, kills him, climbs out of the car, escapes, and a manhunt ensues. 24 hours later, I find myself by myself in a foot chase with him and catch him without having to hurt him. Damn. So, yeah, FBI was super happy with me. Department was super happy with me as this rookie that, you know, did everything by the book and caught him. And that very unfortunate experience kind of put my career on the fast track in a way.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And you, uh, when did you join this? You joined the SWAT team, correct?
1: Yeah. So the that was for the last year plus of my career. So from... The point where the kind of, you know, this, I get awards for everything that kind of took place end up getting put on task force. I get to do joint task force work with DEA, ATF, Homeland Security, really every uh, three letter acronym that you can think of and got to do, you know, undercover work, uh, you know, undercover human trafficking operations. Really got to do everything that I grew up seeing in the movies and more. And then October 2013, so, or I'm sorry, October 13, 2017, so almost six years ago, it'll be six years ago Friday, my partner was shot and killed covering my shift. Yeah. Uh, and so he he took my spot that night because it was the only day i took off all year to and it was to go to my cousin's bachelor party
0: okay and uh, the one night you took off your partner died
1: all year so i went 10 months not taking off a day of work and uh yeah the only day all year and uh from i was drinking a beer when i got the call and i didn't stop drinking for 150 days straight, five full months of just self-destruction Right. And I was still, you know, I was keeping myself distracted. So at work, I was still doing a great job, working 16, 18 hours a day, sometimes 24 hour shifts because of the type of cases we were working. And the, uh, so I got, I ended up getting on the SWAT team and I was in a specialized unit within the SWAT team called the Tiger unit. So it was Tactical Information Gathering Emergency Response Team. So we really just handled emergency, I'm sorry, not emergency, uh, serial armed robberies, serial shootings, and serial murders.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: So a lot of what I did was covert work, uh, undercover operations, covert surveillance. I've spent 16 hours a day following around hit men and uh, just the worst of the worst waiting for to get them in the right location where we could do a takedown and uh, capture them.
0: So. damn man what was what was like your, like what do you take away from your time in the police you know like overall like looking back on it how long have you been out of there for like three about three years
1: i left the beginning of 2019 and of 2018 beginning of 2019 so
0: just before covid yeah, yeah. a
1: year before year or so before that gotcha. so
0: like looking back on forward. it all like what, what are some takeaways that you like just curious man with that experience with experiencing all of that, like, what do you take away from it? You look back on it and are you like overall, like you glad you, glad you went through all that? hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Very, very grateful for the experience it played. I see a very large purpose that it played in my life. And I think that it's only going to become more obvious as life happens for me, how much of a role that played. Cause it, it gave me, it took a lot away from me. Um, it took away peace of my heart. I thought I'd never get back. And th- w- who I was when I walked away it was a completely different human being. I was 50 pounds overweight, uh, 50 pounds heavier than I'd ever been in my life. I was like 212, okay, 213. Gotcha. Just lard, dude, just rolls, yeah. bro. Uh, and it was all just whiskey and stress yeah that's all it was i was depressed uh, i'd experienced depression for the first time for me before that i didn't really understand why like what depression was i'm like just be happy what are you talking about yeah even though i was uh, a very angry person by the time that ended i during that five months after he was killed i spent you know however long at work i'd, I'd on my way home i'd stop and get a bottle of whiskey And I'd pull up in uh, front of my house and I'd sit there and cry and sometimes drink that whiskey and then I'd eventually go inside to face my now ex fiance And then I'd drink and slash cry myself to sleep for maybe an hour or two, wake up, go back into the living room and drink some more and stare at my gun contemplating and uh, wishing it was me. And so I... I really, more so, indirectly suicidal. Like I wasn't going to do it myself, and, and it almost became clear to me. I wasn't necessarily aware of it, so instead of me doing it, I kept putting myself in a position at work for it to happen to me. Right. Yeah. So I started pushing the limits, not not operating tactically or safely. Where in a in a foot chase with with a guy with a gun, usually you they're gonna they're gonna come back like this and try to shoot you. They're not gonna turn around this way. So you play the opposite side of the the side that's the um you play the side that's opposite of what, what gun what the gun side, sorry. Okay, I got you. Um so when I'm running behind a guy and his gun's in his right hand, I would typically play to the left side to make it harder for him to shoot me. But I started playing to the gun side, making it easier. So if he was going to shoot me, I was going to make it easier for him, uh, and which in a way was being suicidal. Car chases, 110 miles an hour down side streets by myself with an armed carjacking vehicle. You got three cats in there that are 15, 16, 17 years old with glocks with a drum on it, jumping out. They like crash the car, jump out, and run into the block. And instead of me setting a perimeter, putting things out over the radio just right behind them, running through, hopping the fence, knowing that they could be waiting for me on the other side. And I was just rolling the dice left and right.
0: And that's probably not, like, ideal for the people around you, huh? Like, your teammates? Nobody, no. It was selfish.
1: It was stupid. There was no part of that that was uh, badass or anything. It was fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, And I ended up having a Past life aggression. My ex fiance at the time got me it for Christmas, and do you know what past life regression is? Uh, no, I so don't. it's I was super skeptical because I didn't believe in anything at the time, but it's on the in the spiritual realm of things. Okay. So, basically, a Tibetan—I uh, forget the actual name of it—but they facilitate a meditation and actually brings you into experiencing some of your past lives, so oh, you could shoot. see what the past lives were. And
0: how was that experience?
1: Wild, yeah, uh, especially so she knew that I was skeptical, so she booked under uh under a random name, so that way I couldn't be like, "Oh, they looked you up and then found me and blah blah, blah. so i couldn't there's no explanation that I could come up with as to why it wasn't real
0: gotcha. and
1: she knew that, and so to make it a very uh, a much shorter story, she walks me through one life. It was very unclear why I was there. And so she walks me out of it and, and basically, uh, says that now we'll walk into the past life of yours. That is most important for you to understand right now. And I immediately was laying on a cold cement slab, freezing, like wet kind of dungeony basement energy. And I could feel kind of this like blindfold over my eyes. I could feel this like steel over my head and then steel, on like cold steel on my wrists, cold steel over, over my, right above my knee as well as my ankles and knew that I was basically like bolted down. Oh, shit. And what was interesting is I wasn't scared. It was like I I chose to be there and it was... At first, it was just this, like, experience. And then it started to feel like a memory. And that was what I'm like. Really, like, I still get kind of chills thinking about it. But eventually, it became more clear and more clear what that memory was. And then all of a sudden, my hand gets chopped off.
0: Oh, shit.
1: (laughs) And then right at the arm. And then at the knee. And... I just burst out crying. And I'm like, dude, bawling my eyes out, ugly, heaving, crying. And it all comes in, in this very clear memory that I chose to be there so that my family could survive another day. Wow. And what was the part that I was really trying to like block out was this other detail that it was actually so that they could eat.
0: Really? Holy crap.
1: And it just was so intense that she ends up pulling me out of it.
0: And that that wasn't on like any substances, was it? No, nothing. No, just like no, breathing dude. and meditation. And I had never
1: been able to even meditate.
0: That's crazy. I had been
1: trying to meditate for years yeah. as a police officer, but I would just see... The dead bodies, or uh, flashes of the car chases, foot chases, shootings, whatever. You know.
0: Did she walk you through like a like breath exercises? How did you get to that state?
1: She so she rel- she basically moved, and it's interesting because I, I do this now with Reiki clients and stuff. But um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I do that we didn't touch on, right? Like my coaching and all that. But yeah, uh, we'll we, there, we, yeah. with the with the Reiki stuff, uh, it's, it was a very similar process where she basically would have she had me relax. Uh, the the scalp okay. and then my ears and my facial structure and really like loosen it my throat like taking the tongue off the roof of my mouth because it was pressed to it which we naturally do which then helps relax me more and moved all the way down helping me relax my entire body and by the end she then said like okay we're gonna walk you th- uh, into this space you're gonna see this fog and uh, and then eventually that fog's gonna clear and you will be in this past life, and so the first one is actually I was standing at attention. I was freezing my ass off, standing at attention, and I was outside, and there was a uh, lantern light on a porch in the distance, and I and I knew immediately that I was guarding something, and there was a very important building behind me, and as it kind of went on, I felt this weight on my right side, and then eventually it was obvious that it was a sheath of a sword. And then it was like very clear that it was like kind of the beginning of my shift and I wasn't going anywhere. Nothing was happening. I couldn't do anything. I wasn't supposed to move kind of thing. And so that was why she walked me out of it.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh,
1: so that was that was really the experience, which was like why it was so wild to me. Yeah. Somebody who's super skeptical, doesn't believe in anything at all.
0: Yeah. That was like a, a paradigm shift, I guess you could say. Yeah, just that there's yeah. more out there than than just the shit you've been through. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That, that that cracked the door open for me. Yeah, for sure. And then man. the next few years were wild, wild, even even more wild experiences that yeah. that took place. But yeah. how'd you
0: uh like talking about the, the state of depression that you kind of went through and all that alcohol and everything like that? How'd you how'd you get through that? Because for mm-hmm. me, I had a period of my life where I was kind of on the verge, I guess you could say, of like alcoholic, and I'm just curious how you. Push through that because you know alcohol is especially in our society and you know in america you know it's it's heavily pushed on everybody you know yeah drink you know it's just people just drink just because you know like how'd you get through the alcohol and the depression man
1: so uh, i i want to answer that but i want to backtrack real quick because i I forgot that one of the most important parts of that entire story is when she pulled me out and had me sit up and let me breathe and stop crying she 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 had asked me to like walk walk her through what was happening so she knew what i was experiencing when i was experiencing it which is crazy that i could be externally communicating with somebody and internally still communi- like experiencing this thing which yeah. even now I, I struggle to do um, but when she finally asked me like was i okay to talk the first thing that she asked me was do you believe yourself to be a vigilant person in this lifetime i'm like i am a police officer and you just saw it on her face and she goes your soul has already made the ultimate sacrifice you're not supposed to do it in this lifetime
0: oh shit!
1: and i was ready to i was but i was pushing every day rolling the dice By
0: ultimate sacrifice she meant like suicide
1: or just dying. Yeah, like, okay, And so gotcha. because I wouldn't do it myself, I was trying to do it on the job in a oh. way where getting killed by somebody else or like, I see what you mean, right? Yeah. Um, and so that hit me so hard and I went, started crying again because I realized like what an idiot I was in a way. I wasn't, there wasn't a, uh, necessarily compassion in that moment for myself. It was like, dude, what have you been doing? Right. And uh, so that was a huge wake up call for me and then I started to go back to operating tactically at work and uh, not doing stupid shit while I was in car chases or foot chases or being shot at or whatever, right? So
0: did that kind of get you out of like the depression and and all of that? No. Oh, okay. No,
1: so I, I was still very much suffering from survivor's guilt even even till today. Like I just had a three hour healing session last night and it came up and I'm like, wow, I thought I moved through that. And it's still, there's still some stuff there. So I ended up, at the end of this five months, it was like right around this Lent, uh, which I don't really know the, all the dates and everything of that, sorry. Uh, but there's usually, like, they do 40-day challenges during that time. And so there was a 40-day challenge that my uh, ex had asked me to do with her. And it was uh, alcohol-free challenge where you work out every day and so during that five months i stopped you know all i did was drink i stopped working out which i I was when it happened i was training i was working 12 hours a day and i would go train martial arts for three four hours and on the weekends i'd be fighting and shooting at the range yeah so i was in insane shape yeah you were getting after it yeah every day because so i was just preparing for mm-hmm. the fucking worst so I, was, I was there was dudes trying to kill me that i'd be fighting over guns and shit so i just like I was just training for it right. every day. Yeah. And all of a sudden stopped working out, stopped eating well. I was punishing myself. I was watching the body camera footage, watching him get murdered over and over and over again, uh, to a point where like I can still I can you and I are talking right now, I can watch it, and I can see the entire thing playing out right now, and I can hear it. I can hear his, his last sound that he ever made. Yeah. The entire thing is ingrained in my brain, and I was punishing myself because I wasn't there. And I also felt this like disconnect between my, me and my guys because my guys were there. And so this challenge comes up and I know I have to get my shit together. I, like I have, a, I've basically a ticket written already for me to do anything I want in my career, but I'm in full self-destruct mode. My relationship is being destroyed. I'm destroying everything besides my career at this point, And that's probably next. Yeah. And so I ended up committing to it and went 40 days, no alcohol. At the time we did blood work and my blood work before we started the challenge, the doctors thought I had hepatitis. No shit. Because my liver enzymes were so high.
0: Damn. Yeah. So you were, you were drinking for real.
1: Dude, I was, yeah, Yeah. I was putting down whiskey, bourbon every day. So that started it. But then w- during that 40 days, I, I get my spot on the SWAT team. Now we're working, you know, every morning I'm up at 3 a.m. We're in the war room for a briefing to go execute a high-risk warrant. And then I'm back working out two hours a day right in, there in the, in the uh, SWAT compound with the guys. No results because of the stress. And I'm still drinking every night. Okay. And then we get done working on a Friday. If we didn't have a SWAT roll or some crazy shit, we'd go drink together. And I'd just be continuing that, but it wasn't from the same exact place, or at least I wasn't telling myself that. So uh, it felt like I was making progress. There's a lot of lies to myself, mm-hmm. and so it actually wasn't until at the end of that year, December first week of December 2018, my cover was blown during an operation. On the job yeah gotcha and i from there they uh, there was how was
0: your can you explain like how, how your cover was blown
1: so we were i didn't know my cover my cover had been blown for days and i didn't know so it was a wednesday and
0: what was your um sorry to interrupt but what was your like task like what was your mission as an undercover cop what so were you it, to do? so
1: this was more so uh covert surveillance. So I was dressed up as either a crackhead or a construction worker and was sitting in the neighborhoods, get, more so gathering a lot of intel. Gotcha. But then a lot of times the target would disappear and I would be have to be prepared to use a cover to go in and kind of interact with uh, the the people in that area in order to keep an eye on them, gain more intel uh, whatever the case was, just
0: kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so the that day, uh, that Wednesday, we had I had found one of the cars of twelve that uh, were stolen from a Hertz rental car company the night before, and I was following it through the neighborhood, and all of a sudden they all came together and they were like wolf packing. I don't know if they were getting ready to do a shooting, what, but a bunch of cars riding through neighborhoods together and they're all stolen. So got my, my unit on the radio. My unit was 23 detectives that were also SWAT operators, like cream of the crop. So we can they kind of converged on the, on the area and they ended up going to a corner house and they pulled it into, they had this gate and they pulled all the cars into, into the backyard so they couldn't be seen. And I stupidly, which now it doesn't really matter at this point, it didn't matter. I just didn't know it. I end up throwing my vest on, grab my rifle and go secure the front door out of my, what's called a cool car, which was my undercover car was like a 98, uh, Taurus that was, didn't even have like mirrors on it and shit. Gotcha. I was dressed up as a crackhead that day. So, uh, (laughs) We ended up hitting the house and they were all barricaded in one room with a bunch of AK-47s, AR-15s, like shit ton of guns. And this house is like, this was one of the f- first times that I was like truly in the moment actually scared. Because I never was until afterwards. I'd be like, oh fuck, like that was a close call. Right. But we're sitting on the other side of this door and the house is made of paper and shade. And we're just waiting for rounds to start coming through this fucking door. And they end up finally giving up. We get them all out. A bunch of dudes wanted for multiple homicides, all sorts of shit. We got them all s- sitting out on the curb, hooked up, and there's cars rolling by, old cats uh, that are just like doing this. And we realize that we we kicked open a, or we kicked an anthill, an anthill that we didn't realize like what we'd really got ourselves into. And so the. My entire unit takes all the guys back to the SWAT compound for interrogation, and my dumbass decides to go look for the last car. It wasn't, like, that stupid, but at the same time, my entire unit's there, and the district units are occupied taking calls for service, shit like that, so I don't really have any immediate backup. Yeah,
0: it's just you for the most part. Yeah,
1: and nobody really knows that I'm out there. And I'm at a red light, and a black infinity all blacked out pulls up next to me and car or the window rolls down to like here and i can only see his eyes and he looks directly at me he says you don't think i know who the fuck you are and at this point i got my rifle here and i'm just like just in, like where all i have to do is pop it up just a little bit and i'm and i'm above the the window and I, this was still at a time where I clearly was still slightly somewhat suicidal or just screws loose, punishing myself, whatever, because I'm like, do what you got to do, bro. Do what you got to do. I see movement in the backseat. I probably got three, four guns on me and I can't, and I don't even know. Yeah. And so we're going back and forth at this red light talking shit. And I just keep saying, do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Kind of like egging him on. And he said, I'm going to let you slide today. But next time I see you, it's on site, which means like on site, there's no conversation, we're gonna shoot, we're gonna shoot you or shoot at you, whatever. And then he rips through the red light right in front of me. So that's like right under the, he goes onto the interstate, gets caught at the other light and, uh, ends up pulling, like he was going to turn on the interstate and ends up pulling right behind me as I pass him. So now they're behind me, go up, I'm at a stop sign and there's a bunch of cars behind me there's two lanes and I just sit there and I'm waiting for him to pull back up which like again very stupid not smart not at all there's nothing cool or badass about it I kind of reiterate that because people's responses before have been like oh shit like it's pretty badass like no it's fucking stupid and now he's on this side so I only have my pistol because I can't use my rifle and I didn't have the MP5 at the time so uh, I wait and when it rolls down, and here we are again. And I'm just saying, do what you gotta do, do what you gotta do. Almost trying to get him to to open up on me. And I'm not in a position where that would probably work out for me. Especially if I got those dudes in the backseat with guns. Probably Draco's, like short AKs. Because they would hit the trains that would come through New Orleans that have guns. And so they'd have really short AK-47s on the streets all day. And... It ends up this cat and mouse game for another five minutes, and I don't say shit on the radio, again, stupid. And then finally, I break off, and I head, head back to the compound. Walk in the door, and I'm, there's outside the interrogation rooms, there's this video, and it has audio, so you could see the interrogation. And the sergeant's like, watch this shit. And the dude says, first thing he says, before y'all say anything, I want you to know, I saved that white boy's life on Monday. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I saved that white boy's life on Monday, and I want y'all to remember that. I'm like, okay, explain what you're talking about. So Monday, two days prior to this, I'm sitting in these projects, apartment housing area, watching these dudes. And they're in an alleyway. And at some point during this, they start looking my way. But behind me in the parking lot, there's people way back there. And like, I've been doing this for a while. I'd really dress up and I'm in character and like, I'm, I'm good at this. (laughs) And so I don't think any like, I'm like, nah, they're not like, I'm not, I'm not blown. So, (laughs) so they disappear for a second and then come back out and they're walking straight towards me. And at this point, like, I don't know. So I get my rifle, I kick my, my uh, seat back a little bit and I'm just waiting And right as they're about to break the alleyway out into the parking lot, there's this other small alleyway that intersects. And this one dude comes out. And I remember seeing them all talk. They looked over at me, which felt like it was actually directly at me. And then he pointed the opposite way. And they walked the opposite way, all of them. Gotcha. And, you know, later that day, when I was done, I left. And continued following them for the next two days and until and that was where he actually pulled up on side of me, right? Gotcha. So in the interrogation room, he sa- he tells them that the dudes that were looking at me, when they disappeared, they went to go get their AKs. Oh, okay.
0: okay. They had the
1: small Draco under. Right. And, I, and I remember seeing something. like I knew they had a gun on them, but everybody had a gun that we dealt with. So he told me that they went, to get their guns and they were on their way out to the parking lot to just open up and try to kill me because they they knew who I was. Right, yeah. And so it turns out the dude that pulled up next to me, I had arrested him years prior for an armed robbery.
0: Oh, okay. So he, yeah, he already knew who you were.
1: But I treated him well. Once I got the cuffs on him after the fight, I treated him like everybody else with respect. And that probably saved my life. Yeah. But, yeah, so it turns out that that day, two days prior, they're about to kill me. And so, the what the dude said, he's like, he straight up, he's like, he told them, he's like, listen, we're about to hit the Hertz rental car place tonight, and we're bringing all those cars back here, so you can't make this place hot. So y'all can kill him, but wait till he leaves. So he he greenlighted me, but he he told him not to do it there. And I actually remember as I was pulling out. There was a car behind me, but there was a, an actual marked unit that didn't know anything about me or that was there that was pulling in, and they probably got spooked and, and pulled off. Fuck you. Because they probably would have ca- like caught me another block away, just pulled up outside of me and opened up.
0: Damn. Yeah. Man, I'm getting fired up just listening to this.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was crazy. I was very, very lucky, but I was, dude, I was so protected.
0: Yeah. Like, no. Now, it sounds now, like it Now looking bro.
1: back, dude, I, I did so much wild shit. We had so many it was a time where were averaging like seven car chases a day.
0: Yeah, man, it makes you wonder, like, you know, when all these people around you are, are dying and getting killed in that kind of profession, like maybe it's just something above is just protecting you, you know? Yeah, because it's I, like any, it could be you at any day.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you another, th- another thing, because you asked earlier what else I took away from it. And the other big thing was intuition. I didn't know what intuition was when I was on the, on the job as a police officer, but I, I knew I had these gut feelings. And it probably saved me, my partner, and everybody else in my unit's life a lot of times because I would turn a block, turn the corner on a block, and see a dude. And I knew immediately whether he was going to comply, whether he was going to run, whether he was going to try to fight us, or he was going to try to shoot at us. And 100% of the time, I fucking was right. And it, and I didn't realize what that was until later on. It was And, and then... I'll, when I started to learn about intuition and went on the spiritual journey and started to eat well and increase the connection in my body with, with my intuition and my gut instincts and everything, then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, this is what that was. This is the same feeling I had, but now I'm able to use it to navigate business and relationships and, and just situational awareness. And that was something that I realized I've had my entire life. I just didn't know what it was.
0: I've heard somebody describe intuition as the authentic voice of God.
1: Mm, Yeah. 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 I mean, which is probably like, that's definitely uh, a a great way to put it because like something is communicating with me Yeah, and it's not my gut. My my gut doesn't know that this dude's about to pull a gun on us and try to kill us. Yeah. Right. Like that's something else. That's something of a higher power that is somehow communicating and it's, and it feels like it's in the gut because people feel their intuition in different places too
0: yeah yeah Yeah. for sure i'm definitely a believer that intuition is guiding us at all times you know
1: if you allow it and listen to it
0: there you go yeah if you have the courage to kind of move forward with it you know what i mean yeah Um, well
1: and if you're you're actually connected to it because food like what you eat and what you consume uh which is a huge part of the agenda which we'll get into if you want to get into some free thinking right absolutely Um, (laughs) then that is something that they're trying to do is disconnect us from our intuition and then also pour fluoride into our water that then calcifies our pineal gland, which disconnects us from God as well. So, and then uh, constantly
0: pump, pump propaganda in your mind. Yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. At what point, when did you decide to leave the, the military, not military, the police? At what point, when was that decision for you?
1: So there's, it's interesting because I, I've realized for a while I condensed a bunch of stories into one where I basically there was there was two things that happened, right the cover was blown uh they basically were like every every car you've used is burnt, nobody can ride with you. you're on the desk, and then there's also uh another hit that was put out on me that didn't really we didn't re- really believe that it was valid, but then they contacted my ex- fiance found out where she worked, where she went to school, and then all of a sudden it was like. Everything was piling up, and so that all happened Monday, right? Where I, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Tuesday, my that that same week that my cover was blown, my uncle reached out to me on Facebook. I hadn't heard from him in years. It's like, hey, just so you know, uh, New York State Troopers is hiring. I know you probably love your job up there, but just want to let you know, or down there, but just want to let you know. I was like, oh, thank you, my. Tattoos probably disqualify me, uh, but good to look into. But it just brought my attention, again, to the idea of moving. And then Thursday, my ex-fiance's dad called me, and I was in, like, juvenile court about to testify, and... He never calls me. He's like a he's like a fame like famous singer for a rock band from like the seventies. He's your like uncle? still touring. No, my ex's uh, father. Okay, okay. So he calls me, and he's like, hey, just want you to know, I ha- I just had uh, lunch with Sam, which is my ex's name, and I want you to know, like, you need to get your shit together. If she's gonna leave you like i love you you've treated her and taken care of her better than i could have ever asked any man and i didn't know you guys were like struggling so bad so i'm just calling to tell you get your shit together
0: yeah that's real that's love Yeah, yeah yeah
1: and so all this stuff piles up right i go home that night and i'm sitting in the mirror 50 pounds overweight staring at a man that I don't really believe in I don't trust uh, all I see is a pile of broken promises
0: you did not like what you saw in the mirror at the time huh
1: no I yeah. mean I had become this angry just depressed person and I didn't like being in public around people I was always paying attention to people's hands and looking at their waist to see if they had a gun on them and I was just like I was always in survival mode, but what I saw in there was a was a man that I didn't set out to become, a man I wasn't proud of. I was almost proud of him, but the last year I completely went the opposite way, and I knew that like if I keep going this way, I'm gonna end up dead. Whether I finally build the courage to pull the trigger myself, or another man does, or health fucking issues kill me i'm already flirting with death for my job itself and my mental state is increasing the probability that i'm gonna end up dead and so she came home on friday from um thanksgiving in nashville and she walks in the door and i asked her do you want to move and uh she said yeah and she didn't really believe me, but her bags were already packed. She was leaving either way. This so is whether I was going with her or not. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And she said, yeah. And so I then realized I was have to throw. I was have to put together a resignation letter to give to my SWAT commander, who was like the most... If I int been intimidated by any man ever, it really would have only been him. Yeah. He was like 6'5". Marine that had killed, had so many bodies on his belt, which I probably, maybe I shouldn't be saying, but <laughs> yeah, uh, for his 50th birthday, he fucking benched 500 pounds. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. yeah and see. he just like, he couldn't be fucked with. He didn't mess with the politics and the bureaucracy of the department. People couldn't tell him what to do. So like you really fucking respected him. Yeah, you, were, you and, respected
0: him. That's why you were in t- probably a little bit like scared to go and... You know, well, that
1: and it's like, they chose me and to be a, a part of this unit that's the cream of the crop they fucking bet on me they invested in me and now a year or so later i'm pulling out uh and so it was probably the hardest thing i had to do because i was i was really just i was af- afraid of the judgment of all these guys that
0: i would imagine it's like a brotherhood too you know yeah please yeah, yeah I would imagine. and even that
1: team that entire team i was afraid of what they were gonna think because they also when I when I sat down for that interview, I walked in, and it wasn't just the Tiger Unit; it was also the Vows Unit. So it was about fifty guys in the in the war room for my interview. And okay. I walked in, all around this one table, and uh, I'm sitting there. And the SWAT commander's not in there. They start the interview, and all of a sudden, I hear the door open up behind me, and he ends up walking up grabs a chair, pulls it. I'm, I'm sitting here. I, you got this room full of men that are all about to ask you scenarios, based questions, to interview. I'm nervous as shit. He pulls up, literally puts his face right here with a styrofoam cup, and he's just spitting his Copenhagen into his, and his cup. Doesn't say a fucking word to me. He's I mean, just one of those guys that just like, you really want to make sure that I was the right one. And then they chose me. And so did every one of those guys in there. And so it was it was really hard to walk away and do what was best for me and not truly not consider what was best for everybody else, mm-hmm. which at the end of the day probably was what was best for them too. Because if I wasn't mentally there, then something bad could happen to me or to them.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, man. So let's transition. Um, after the, after leaving the the police SWAT team, you got it, you got into coaching, the coaching business, consulting business, uh, let's talk a little bit about that, man. I'm, I'm super interested to hear about how you got started in that and what you've learned from it and just everything involved with it because I know you got a lot of cool stuff going on with that as well outside of the I Believe in You company. So if you want to dive into that, I'm super interested to hear what got you started in wanting to coach people, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. Consulting, uh, consulting and all that.
1: So I, I actually started in affiliate marketing uh, okay. with a like high-ticket direct sales company. So maybe a month later, I started my first business, which I didn't, by no means, was that a part like of my plan? But I
0: A month later after leaving the police? Yeah, okay, gotcha. yeah. So
1: I moved up to Buffalo thinking, you know, I got all my college buddies up there. That'll it'll be a place where I'll feel like I can easily integrate back into normal life, I guess, mm. and which I was wrong. And uh, I ended up watching an online webinar first one ever and sure enough broke out the credit card and got into this entrepreneurial community and the first uh, video I watched uh, was a guy delivering some training which is now my now business partner Joey uh, so I ended up taking out my 401k supplement retirement plan every dollar I had I put it all in on this business I so just like again following my intuition yeah Right. and took the last bit of money I had booked a one-way flight to London to, to meet him in person, see him speak on stage. And from there we connected. I enf- ended up infiltrating this like circle of executives with, with that company and ended up traveling the world with them, building my company as well as helping them build theirs for that entire year. ended up doing like 14 countries through 2019 Ended up in Barcelona for the last three months of 2019. And during that time, uh, an opportunity came up for me to get my international uh, coaching certification with the coaching masters.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And so
1: that was something where I was already, it was already on my radar. But when that came up it was a cool, I have so much experience around discipline and performance and uh, execution, threat assessment, and applying that to goals and uh, pursuit of goals and all these things. I'm like, okay, well I can I could apply this to helping entrepreneurs uh, with coaching and I also throughout that year did a lot of internal work a lot of healing to overcome a lot of the uh, depression using the alcohol use that was something that I really I did 75 hard broke that for me so oh, did, yeah. I've done 75 hard twice uh, maybe three times now and that first time was really like, that was the first time I'd gone 75 days of not drinking alcohol since I was probably like 13 years old. Yeah. Right? So uh, that was really what helped me break it. That's beautiful. Um, so I ended up getting this certification. Very quickly, I immediately was like, oh shit, I'm I'm good at this. I'm I'm already getting clients like six weeks in. Just,
0: How did you start getting your first clients?
1: Just my network, the people, people that I in. was around, they knew I was going through the program and they would bring stuff up because just a normal conversation, they'd bring up something they were going through and I would lightly like use what I was learning even that day and all of a sudden we're like at dinner but they're crying. I'm like, I gotta stop doing this when we're out in public. But I was seeing results quickly and they were giving me really good feedback and so I ended up launching my first offer shortly after I graduated from that. Um uh, accreditation and big old goose egg, yeah. no, no clients, no interest whatsoever. But, uh, ended up launching again, got some clients and then we ended up getting kicked out of not kicked out, but our visas were up in Barcelona. So we ended up coming to Scottsdale shortly after that, uh, we launched a company conversions, uh, which was coaching and consulting Helping and fr- coaches. Help so, scale. at the time when we started, it was coaches, course creators, service providers, really anybody that was a high ticket offer? Because really, our area of expertise was uh, marketing and sales, copywriting, just generating leads and, and closing. So, we were teaching that uh, in a space that was just starting to pop off. And so, we did that for. We were using Facebookers at the time. scaled that to about sixty k a month. And then a few of our business partners walked away, leaving me and Joey with a bunch of clients and debt and all sorts of stuff and uh, put us in a position where we had to learn all the other areas of the business we hadn't touched yet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which we're very grateful for. But so yeah, co- the, the coaching and consulting company was what we it eventually evolved into growth consulting. So we would basically partner with a company and go in, act as partners for six to 12 months. They'd pay us 30, 50 K up front plus 15% revenue share for the term of the contract. And we'd walk away from meetings with to do's and actually help them scale. Okay. Uh, so that was kind of where we left it. That was th- that the last offer we had we had scaled was that. Um, but of course throughout that journey that's when Braxton came into the picture and iboi became a thing and and okay. that was really what pulled at our entire heart so everything else just became a uh stepping stone or a band-aid or a temporary thing and bring it up to now um i don't know if you have any specific questions about that before i get, Yeah, yeah I, uh, as...
0: I wanted to ask you do you do any um like are you still doing coaching?
1: I am. Yep. Yeah. So and
0: are you doing like group coaching or are you doing any one-on-one coaching? Both. Both. Okay. Yep. What are if some, let's say somebody comes to you and like, they want to join your, your coaching program. What are, what are some of like the key philosophies that you focus on? You know, if, let's just say this person's like down and out, like they're, they're at ground zero careers in the shit, physical health and the shit. Like what are some of the key philosophies that you focus on?
1: First thing is taking responsibility.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, and I see you talk a lot about that, and that was one of the things that I really, I really like about one of your messages is keeping your agreements. And I figure we can go into a little bit, a little bit into that. But so yeah, continue with like some of your key philosophies with, with your coaching. I'm I'm real curious to, to to know what that is.
1: So just so it makes sense, like really, <clears throat> the three elements the KTG system is keeping agreements, taking responsibility, and giving recognition. So it's the keeping of agreements is really simplifying discipline. Discipline tends to be this macro concept that feels discouraging. It's this big mountain to climb, especially if you just really struggle with it and you struggle with executing consistently at all. Then the idea of developing discipline, it's just like, it's, it's very difficult. To what do I conceptualize. Do? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got you. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. So for me, I, you know, we, we discussed a little bit earlier off camera that you're really into the fitness side of things. For me, my health and fitness journey has been a roller coaster, and that one year and a half really made the the last five very difficult for me. Right, and so
0: you can get off track real quick, and yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, and so for me, I did 75 hard multiple times. Right, I did all these different challenges. I hired fitness coaches and all these things, and and I'd make a bunch of progress but I'd somehow always find my way back to the starting line or close to it. And so like 75 hard was great, it really was. But the containers allowed for my ego, my ego could carry me through that container and, and push me because I couldn't take the L, right? I'd, I'd have to finish. Yeah. But once I was done, it's like a rubber band, it stretched so far, and then eventually you snap back to the original form. Yeah. And so that continued to happen. And so I was getting frustrated. I'm, you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars on coaches, hire a subconscious programming coach, thinking, okay, if there's a whole rubber band thing, then maybe there's something in my identity that's just bring me back, bring me back, bring me back. And I was everything taught me something. Everything gave me a tool that I invested in, everything helped me change and evolve and learn something, but none of it was sustainable.
0: Couldn't stick it, you it couldn't, was, couldn't stick, yeah. Yeah,
1: it was just too complex and, and it just wasn't a system, none of it provided a system that if you did fall off, it was so simple to get back on track and just pick up where you left off. So I had, between some of these mentors, one of my mentors taught me, really like helped me change the way I think, which is everything. And through that, I kind of came up with this theory of, like, okay, what if all I did was focus on making an agreement with myself and keeping it? Because the, the big realization I had is, okay, belief is built and destroyed the same exact way by either keeping or breaking your agreements. Every time you say you're going to do something and you do it, you layer on more belief, more trust, more confidence. Every time you break an agreement you strip away whatever level of confidence belief you do have so you strip a layer of that away and so based off that's okay if i just make the agreement strategic agreements that i know if i do it long enough or uh, a rational long uh, amount of time i would eventually hit my goal then all i need to do is make those agreements and actually focus on keeping them so this theory i just I really just had this theory of like, if all I do is focus on keeping these agreements long enough to see results, I'll see them. And that is how I think I can finally create this change in my life. So that's what I did. I just focused on health and fitness. I made the agreements to myself and I kept them. Now, the part that was tough is like, life happens and you eventually have to break certain agreements. So then it was a matter of figuring out how to break agreements without it doing damage to my confidence, trust, and self-belief. And through trial and error, figured out that if you acknowledge the breaking of the agreement immediately, or as soon as you know that you're going to have to break the agreement, acknowledging it, taking responsibility for it, and then... Renegotiating it, then that will stop from the internal; da- it'll stop the internal damage from happening. Okay. Gotcha. So, say for instance, I tell myself that I'm, I'm doing a 16-hour fast each day, which I'm doing right now, and at the end of the day, I realize I also—I'm one of my other agreements—is to get in a certain amount of calories. I haven't got my amount of calories in, and now my time is up for my eating window, I am going to, I'm in a position where I'm going to end up breaking one of my agreements. I'm either going to extend my eating window, or I'm going to not get the amount of calories in that I need for that day. So at this point, I'm acknowledging that I'm going to have to break an agreement. And me taking responsibility for that is, okay, I didn't meal prep on Sunday and because of that I would have to cook my meal but my schedule was too busy to offer time for that and uh, I failed to do xyz and because of that it wasn't because oh like uh, you know I got stuck in traffic for an hour on the way home and then it hit it and so on it's because I mismanaged my time I did this yeah so acknowledge take responsibility and then renegotiate so I in in the renegotiation, I look at okay, it's not my eating window stops at nine o'clock. I, I need another 850 calories. I'm going to extend it till 830, I'm sorry 9:30. And then because the goal isn't necessarily about the eating window, but it's about the fast because that's where the results is being delivered, then I'm going to push my fast, to you know, 30 minutes more the following day. So I can't eat until instead of 1 o'clock, it's 1.30. But to make sure that I'm now not continuing to extend that, now moving my eating window and everything to a cycle where now everything's thrown off, my eating window just has to be shorter that following day. Because I'm renegotiating, that new agreement becomes a non-negotiable. And that is how you break an agreement without it doing damage to your self belief and confidence. F- so through this, right? I th- basically this theory, I figure out the really the power of keeping agreements. Yeah, <clears throat> and that was that was really the problem all along. Is I wasn't I wasn't respecting agreements for what they were. Yeah, right, for the power they had, uh, for the power of what they could do for us or to us. By either making, keeping, or breaking the agreements. So that was really the first element. And that was really what I set out to prove. And really, just in one area of my life. So it was really just health and fitness, and really more so fitness because I had through my childhood some experiences that I wasn't like really fat or anything, but my friends were in better shape than me. And because friends, kids are shitty, they make fun of you. And so I ended up developing a really bad relationship with my body and food to the right. point where I went up until two years ago when I started dating my current girlfriend, not really ever allowing myself to eat sweets and shit. But she's such a sweet tooth that I've... I've, And I've been doing some healing that obviously now <laughs> I allow myself to, right? So...
0: That's how my girl is, bro. She, yeah. yeah she's, <laughs> <laughs> Every night she's getting a little bit
1: ice cream, you know? So, So I... I really focused there because that was an area that was impacting my confidence. Now I'm, I'm single, right? I'm uh, really just trying to focus on myself and I know where there's some insecurities where I'm self-conscious. And so I'm, I'm going to focus on fitness. I'm going to focus on just keep my agreements there. And through that, I ended up getting in the best shape of my life. So I was like, okay, cool. I did it here. Now I want to go do that in business because that was the other thing is like, I couldn't get my money right. Yeah. And so then I applied keeping my agreements to business. So it's like, okay, what are the three, what's my goal? What are the the two to three things that I need to do every single day in order to move the needle in my business towards that goal? Okay. Uh, Create conversations, put out content and engage. Cool. So how much of that do I need to do each day for it to be irrational for me to hit my goal? Cool. Those are my agreements. Then it was just me focusing on keeping them eventually now all of a sudden i'm making more money than i really ever have at least in business and so I, and it wasn't a crazy amount it was being like maybe 7500 bucks a month but that consistently was great for me as an entrepreneur who had been on a whole roller coaster and had way too many months of just beans and rice and, and you know negative bank account over and over yeah. again right so i then validated it there okay cool so now Health, fitness, business is great. I'm my habits are great. I'm now I'm like known for discipline. now at this point I've been known for years for discipline, cold showers, like those different like habits. It's just all stacking on top of each other, yeah. Yep. And so from there, then it was like, Okay, well, I'm in Scottsdale now and I'm single, but I there's this whole thing internally where I just like there's tens everywhere. I have got all these opportunities, but yeah, you're shit
0: together now. You're in good shape,
1: but but I but I wasn't like I wasn't interested. Yeah. I like there was still work to be done on this man for him to be like ready to put energy into another human or uh, putting energy into integrating my life with a, another woman's. Mm. And so, excuse me. So I stayed single and like didn't date and even mess around for like two years. And, of course, I'd pop into the dating scene. I'd be like, okay, I still got it. I'm good. (laughs) But then I'd I'd pop right back out, and I would just go to work on the areas that I still felt insecure. And that kind of brings in the whole concept of taking responsibility. If there's something that I feel internally that I'm not happy with, nobody can change that. Nobody, there's no way that somebody else can fill that void for me. Nothing. So I have to take responsibility for that. And so the time came where I just was at this breaking point. I was just this whole peak performance thing. Every morning I'm fucking up at 4 a.m. and I'm doing this, this, and this. And then I'm just all day long just executing. And nothing was really changing too much. And I hit a breaking point where I decided, okay, I'm going to go spend time in Mexico by myself. So I spent seven weeks in Mexico by myself just on this kind of spiritual journey, just finding time to kind of work through the last few things that I needed to before I stepped back into the dating world. And through all of that, all that work internally is about keeping agreements. So There was a program that I was going through uh, that was helping me change the way I think it was really rewiring my brain because I had gotten so, for so long, I was always prepared for something bad to happen and really had to reprogram my brain to start preparing for something good to happen. Mm. And I became a dork about quantum physics and manifestation and really started to understand how it truly works and... From there, I realized like, okay, well, I can take the action all day that's aligned with my goals. But if my thoughts aren't actually in alignment with that, that are projecting and, and the, what's actually the magnet, then I'm not going to be able to create what I want in my life.
0: You got to have both.
1: Yeah. So when it came to the internal work for, for that, for me to get to a point where I could even start dating, let alone consider being in a relationship, I had to make the right agreements to myself and keep them. And through that, I got the results that I wanted. I come back from Mexico, and the kid is ready. Yeah, I'm I'm back in the game, and <laughs> the kid was ready. It was <laughs> it was it was wild because like I I went two years where I wasn't trying to date at all, and and before that, in my the last year of my relationship, I didn't even feel wanted in my relationship, which is really hard to admit as a man. For sure. And I come back from Mexico and I really, I knew I kind of checked the last boxes of shit that I needed to work through because first time I'm out at a bar, I see a woman that I'm interested in and there was zero hesitation. There was no hesitation whatsoever. I immediately walked straight up to her and introduced myself. And next thing I know, uh, I got a date scheduled for the following day. And then that was just happening. And so I was going on dates multiple times a week, probably like six weeks Maybe, maybe even less. And it was it? Nope. 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 Like it was not finding anything that was like okay. I'm willing to uh really sacrifice time and, and energy to put and put it into somebody else. And then I met Donna, um uh, and the building next door was where uh, first time we we had oh, okay. met. Yeah, yep. the apartments right there. Yep. Um what a coincidence. Yeah. And so that was great because it was exciting. I'm like, she checks all the boxes, at least from what I see. And it really, really started to, to hit it off. But uh, it also very quickly exposed all the things that I couldn't have worked on alone.
0: Right. Yeah, I could yeah. only
1: work on in a relationship. Yeah. And every man says he wants a date to 10. <laughs> yeah. Until he's dating ten, yeah, and yeah. all the insecurities and anything that he hasn't worked through surfaces, and very much he's faced with, with several demons that he has to work through. So,
0: man, that's facts. Yeah, yeah. There's there's things that you're not going to get exposed to if you're not like in a relationship, you know, especially with a beautiful woman, you know. Yeah, that'll expose you for sure. Oh. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and it did, it did, because uh, we'd be we'd go to a party or to a gathering and. Uh, or just to the mall, out to a restaurant, and everywhere we'd go, dudes would be staring at her. And some would be respectful, of course, but there's also dudes that weren't. And dudes that would, would even at like the mall, it would say something, and I'd want to throw them over the fucking railing. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and
0: I could see you wanting to do that. Yeah, yeah for
1: sure. Because yeah. <laughs> at the time, to me, it was a matter of uh, disrespect, to me. Yeah. And growing up in an area where I was the only white kid, and like the, the, the dudes that were saying shit at the mall were black dudes, which, like, whatever, it doesn't really matter, but the reality is that's what it was. Yeah. And for me, growing up in the uh, in the way that I grew up, there was something I... I was in a position where I felt like I had something to prove, and uh, so I was getting in a lot of fights as the only white kid. And really had to just be like, listen, I'm no bitch. Like, if, if, if you... have something to say like you're gonna catch his hands and so that still that was like weirdly being triggered for me and it was like there was it was like okay another opportunity to grow the fuck up dude like people are gonna say shit that man doesn't owe you anything he doesn't owe you respect like there's there's no there's nothing there's no contract there's no relationship there now if you know me and you know we're together and you do some shit like that yes you will get hurt right but like or like I will do everything in my power to make sure that, that like you don't ever do something like that again. Yeah, right. That's like the mindset behind it. But what was what it was bringing up is just insecurities for me. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing is like if you're reacting that way, it's a lack of confidence. Facts. Yeah. And facts. so yeah. I had to face that because that's really what it, it wasn't respect. At the end of the day, it, it is. Of, yeah. It was a lack it of confidence. Is,
0: yeah. At the end of the day, it is. And I, I've been through the same kind of shit, man. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So.
1: That took a little while. Uh, you know, we'd be at the gym and dudes would be, I, you know, we weren't working out together. So dudes, we'd be, be watching dudes like, I'd literally be watching dudes work up the courage to go talk to her. I could see it happening. Yeah. And, and then some of them would and some of them wouldn't. And what I realized eventually when, when I finally was like really being faced with it so much was that there was only a few times that it actually bothered me. A lot of times it didn't bother me. A lot of times, like I'd laugh or be like, "Yeah, I'd, I'd shoot my shot too." So there was there was a lot of times where I I could see my growth, but then the question became, "Well, what's different about that time?" And it wasn't about how they approached her or what was said; it was the actual man. And you're getting then, some real
0: shit, man. Yeah, yeah, and, for sure.
1: And then what I realized was. The times that it bothered me, it was because the guy was in significantly better shape than I
0: was. Bro. Yeah.
1: So that came in. Yeah. And, and with that, there was... Yeah, I know
0: any dude who's talking right now is going to be like, bro, you're... Yeah, that's nice. That's yeah. yeah.
1: It is. It is. But like a lot of men don't want... It's, I it's...
0: think it's a it's a biological thing almost, maybe. I don't know. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. For I think sure. it's just a natural thing. Like...
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But yeah, yeah keep going, man.
1: So so I, I realized... That And then as we were getting to know each other and our past relationships, talking and learning some of the men that she had dated and the, the, ma- the man she had dated right before me was making eight figures. Everybody knows him. He's on my feet all the time. Even if I don't follow him, there's another account that is posting him. And so she talks about all these relationships and, Well, most of them, pretty much almost every one of them didn't bother me, but that one. Why? Well, it's because he checks a box that I don't feel like I can yet or that I actually can't yet. And so now I'm in a position where I'm being faced with two insecurities. What could I do? What could I do about it? Continue to argue? Continue to tell her not to bring it? him up or don't text him or don't talk none to him don't follow him work, yeah. don't don't wear any of the clothes that he bought you or that has a brand that's associated with him or all this shit because all that was coming up i wanted to say those things right and uh and i could continue to do that but that's just going to destroy the relationship you can't worse, yeah. you can't win that way so instead i had to do the the t of the ktg Right? I had to take responsibility. There is only one way for me to overcome this insecurity, and that is to create change within myself. I got to go make more fucking money. I got to I got to make sure that I can pay the bills, that I can take care of it, because I know he didn't let her pay for anything, and that fucking hurt, right? <laughs> that hurt. Yeah. And not only that, but there's nothing I can do about, uh, or the, you know, there's no excuse i can make for my insecurity as far as my own physicality and my physique the only thing i can do is take responsibility for it go put in more fucking work yeah get get leaner put on more muscle do the work and outwork those insecurities that's the only way
0: man you're really you're really i just want to interject real quick you're really hitting like a lot of a lot of uh pain points i guess you could say and i think one of the things that you're saying bro is like As men, we all have these insecurities. I mean, I'm sure every single person listening has some type of insecurity.
1: 100%.
0: And you can either let it ruin you, which a lot of people do. I'm sure you know people who have gone down that path and they're just no confidence. They're just their overall outlook on life is just they're done, right? Like they Mm -hmm. don't have that drive. They just let it ruin them or you can let it motivate you and, and, you know, continue to build yourself and work on yourself. So
1: 100%. And that's the thing. So like most men, if not every man has been jealous at some point. And it's interesting because when we talk about men, we use the word jealousy. When we talk about women, we use the word insecurity, but they're really the same thing. And so the, the reality is like, dudes would be like, oh, like, I, don't, I don't believe my girl should be friends with another man. Why? Because you're afraid. You are afraid that something is going to happen. Why you're afraid is there's a lack of confidence. Whether it's you feel like you don't check a certain box, or there's just maybe you feel like you're not enough. Like, and it's not this, it's not, I'm not saying that from a place of judgment. That's from a place of compassion. There's things that have happened to all of us throughout our life, even just the way that our parents showed love to us that can create those insecurities. But that belief in itself is from or like the things that we as men, say and like that we don't we don't believe that they should do that or we're uncomfortable with it and you know just the different ways that uh jealousy shows up in a relationship it's all from it's like the beliefs and morals or all of it is just an excuse and a mask for whatever the actual insecurity is it's pain within us that is triggered and requires healing and one of the best ways for us to do that is actually take responsibility for it. Because although somebody else may have done something to hurt us in the past, once we become aware of it, it is now our responsibility to heal because hurt people hurt people. So we can either continue to be hurt and as a result, hurt others as well as our our significant other and the people around us, or we can do the work.
0: I want to say something about the jealousy and the, the relationships and, and all of that. I think... There's always gonna be somebody who makes more money than you. There's always gonna be somebody who's taller, who's more jacked, uh, all of these things, right? I think, and I wanna get your take on it, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but I think to a certain extent, especially in relationships and, and like with the confidence and the jealousy with that whole situation, like I feel like you have to have a certain level of detachment. And I think, just like, not like you don't care, but I think you have to have a certain level of detachment. Like at the end of the day, as a man, if something happens with my relationship, I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to ruin me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love this girl. I I would die for her. But if she left me for another man, I'm good. Like, I, I love myself. I'm, I have that, like, internal love no matter what happens with any type of relationship. I feel like you have to have, it's almost like, it's just, it's almost like a deeper level of spiritual growth. Like, it, it's not about the muscles. It's not about the money. It's not about mm-hmm. any of that. I know at the end of the day, life is short. I'm going to die one day. If I lose this girl, God forbid, man, like it is what it is, you know, a a certain level of detachment. I I don't know what you think about that, but.
1: So I agree, but I think that you can't reach that detachment without confidence and self-belief. Yeah. 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 That's where it comes from. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In order to get to a place of detachment, you have to manually build self-belief, overcome those insecurities so that's where it's like when i t- like not to go too deep into the kcg system but like th- with the guys i have in the war room right now uh, which i'm probably going to rebrand the name of it because i found out that somebody else has something like that and i didn't know i just named it after the war room that mm-hmm. we did our briefings in yeah um but <clears throat> the results in their relationships and their dating life is way more than I could have expected. Really? We're only a few weeks in,
0: and that's that's like one of the big things that you've seen. So yeah, far is the yeah, relationship. And, and it's
1: and it's it's because so they're they're keeping their agreements every single day. They have a significant amount of agreements, uh, which it's carefully designed to make sure that it's set up for them to win because success breeds success, and each time you keep an agreement or hit a goal, that uh, positive momentum cycle propels you into uh, achieving the next one. Right, so it's set up very. Uh, specifically but with that they're showing up differently every day so the woman seeing them show up with a different energy so they're initiating sex more Mm. they're more drawn to them right then they're taking responsibility for shit i gave a gave an example the other day to them this was just a silly one but it's funny and it's anybody could relate to it but donna and i were eating dinner out on the balcony and I had to get in all my, my calories in my last meal because I had such a crazy day. So I had this fucking giant bowl and she had her normal sized meal. So she finished soon and or sooner than I did. And she got up and went inside to put her plate away. And she had the, the seat that had the great view of the sunset. And she typically does. And so I said, Oh, like I'm gonna I'm gonna take the the, the good view since you get it all the time. I could have just I just could have just sat there and not said anything, right? But I said that. And she's like, "Oh, you like you've gotten it before." I'm like, "Yeah, once." And she's like, "No, pro- like you've definitely had it at least twice." And at this point now we're bickering over yeah. something so stupid. Yeah. And I'm like, "You're literally bickering with me." And she's like she was bothered by that, obviously. Uh, and like kind of understandable that <laughs> because I actually started it, but It was like this whole thing. I I shut the the door and just like we knew, like it was kind of a silly thing that was had potential to escalate into something that didn't need to be. And so we took a second. I sat out on the balcony and worked through to the point where I'm like, okay, why is this all my fault? This, which is typically the question I ask myself when anything painful or, or stressful or uncomfortable happens, so that I can immediately take responsibility for it. So I'm con- trying to condense the time between pain and how long that suffering lasts to taking responsibility, taking recontrol over the situation, and then taking action on it. And so I asked myself that, and dude, the battle with the ego, it's so stupid. But I at the end of it, I finally walked in and I'm like, okay, I could have just sat there in that seat and enjoyed the view, but instead I made a comment. So I apologize. It's my fault. Like the entire thing was my fault. And it's something so small, but the level of appreciation and respect that is developed in a relationship when you take responsibility on both sides, but as a man, we only focus on what we can control. That is where a very strong relationship and strong communication is developed. And so now... In very small things in their relationships, they're taking responsibility, but they're also taking responsibility for big things. They're taking responsibility for their own insecurities, their own triggers, their own poor reactions that they may have picked up from their dad when they were a kid. Like I still, when I'm moving shit around, like moving my house to an apartment or furniture or hanging shit on the wall and I do it with somebody else, I have the same trigger that I picked up from my dad because I watched it a million times where he, he takes out his frustration on the person he's doing it with. And because I know that, I choose to try to do those things on my own. And if I don't, I will try to ground myself before I go into it because I don't want to take it out on somebody because it's not their fault. It never really is, ever. It's difficult to do that shit. Yeah, Uh, But it creates such an opportunity for those triggers. And so now they're they're keeping their agreements. They're taking responsibility. And because uh, belief and confidence is so important for them to lead in a relationship and also lead in their own lives they're learning how to give and receive recognition and giving re- recognition to themselves. So that way that's the last part of your, yep. Yep. And so it's, it's a full loop here. So the keeping in, uh the making and keeping of strategic agreements, not only is uh, if they do it long enough it, and it's so simple, it's it, and sustainable. that if they do it long enough, they're going to create change in any area of their life. That in itself is going to skyrocket their confidence the taking responsibility takes their power back. Because anytime we blame somebody else for anything, when you point the finger elsewhere, you're giving your power to that thing. You're giving it away. The analogy I use, uh, when you point your finger elsewhere, the uh, finger becomes a loaded gun and the projectile becomes your power and you're giving it away. Uh, So they're building their personal power every time they take responsibility for anything. So now they're looking for opportunities to take responsibility. Right? And, and now they're training themselves to do that. And then every time they do that, that also opens up an opportunity for them to give themselves recognition because it's an area that most likely before they, they couldn't take responsibility. Their ego got in the way. They blamed somebody else for it. They gave their power away. And now they're, they're doing something that they are very proud of. And so that is also building their confidence, self-belief, and the trust that they have in themselves, their integrity. Right? And then if they break an agreement and they acknowledge it and they take responsibility and then they renegotiate it, it also creates an opportunity for them to uh, to give recognition, right? Gotcha. And, well, if they, and if they break it, they also put that into the taking responsibility element as well, which kind of brings them to a whole process. So, yeah, and it's – dude, it's – I mean I use this system to change, systematically change every single area of my life and now I'm just learning – how to best integrate it into other men's lives because I know that it's gonna work and now yeah. it's obviously being validated with the results the guy's already having and so yeah it's going well and I'm excited like we got to, you know, we're we're crying on the call only, I think third call and at, at the end of it the guy said I love you to each other
0: Damn. like
1: it, which is like co- really cool to me it's like like alright love you guys you guys have a, like a great night like these guys just met just met and like the camaraderie and the brotherhood mm-hmm. and like the support and, like, the winds and everything, it's just so powerful.
0: Yeah, bro. Yeah, I think what you're doing, man, It's uh, it's needed in today's world, you know? It really is. Like, I think, obviously, women have their own problems and everything like that. But I think men definitely, like, in this society, like, with everything going on, it's almost like, you know, being a man is, like, looked down upon. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they want us to be weak. They want us to be... They don't want people like talking like about this, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Man, I think I think everything you're doing is, is super dope. There, there's one topic I want to kind of go over real quick. Okay. Um, we brought it up earlier, and uh, I was I didn't plan on talking about this, but intuition, and um, I think intuition is something that you don't learn in school. Nobody really teaches you anything about intuition, even in like religion. I mean, I don't know. They don't really talk about intuition, at least from what I've seen. And I feel like as I get a little bit older, start learning more about myself and the world, intuition continues to like become more and more of a bigger thing, you know, and, and being courageous enough to follow your intuition. I feel like looking, about, like, looking back at the, my past year, I've been purposefully trying to follow my intuition and just do what I think is the right thing. And how would you say you can really tap into your intuition? We talked a little bit about it, but if you could expand on it, I think it's just such an important topic, you know, and. Something that very rarely I I don't hear too many people talking about. So I think you would have a good a good grasp on it if you if you want to expand on it a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. When it comes to your intuition and increasing your connection, your ability to translate what it's saying, all that, I think that there's a bunch of different angles to come at it from. I think there's the the nutrition side of it, which is really like eating like when you're eating processed foods and uh chemicals and refined sugar and things of that nature that's uh destroying or drinking alcohol consistently it's destroying your gut health and
0: alcohol is probably the worst man
1: dude uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I very seldomly have a couple of drinks now and because also it, it destroys your sleep which then sets you up for failure the next day lower performance and if you're, that's a, oh gosh, let's, let's go back to a conversation I had with myself recently where I had to face the fact that I set, I say I'm, I'm pursuing greatness, but some of my habits say otherwise. That's maybe, might be a good place to, to end it all. But yeah, 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 uh, yeah. so there's a nutrition part of it. So uh, very simple is like, stop consuming alcohol or consuming a lot of it or regularly and eat whole foods right increasing your gut health decreasing inflammation
0: it really is as simple as that
1: that in itself will like there's probably people honestly people that have never felt intuition they don't know they don't even understand the, like
0: they're well, so foggy. like it's so foggy yeah yep. yeah yeah that, um, that's what people describe that fog that's what it is huh
1: yeah yeah so so there's that there's the uh you know type of water you're uh drinking like mountain I need valley to get, some, I need to get some of that I don't get paid for this, uh-huh. but, uh, yeah. So mountain Valley or Kangen water, like the, a magic machine, but with like a pre-filter is something that you can do to really start to remove some of the stuff from the water that they put in for whatever reason, but that it does calcify your pine, li- your pineal and land and harden it, uh, which disconnects you from source, from God, from, uh, being able to receive guidance so, there's the nutrition aspect of it. I think it's funny because I was like, I don't want to draw everything back to the KTG system or belief and and trust and whatnot, but I think
0: no it's real though when yeah, it yeah, real, when yeah. it comes
1: to following your intuition, even just uh, listening to it and even considering it, the amount in which you trust yourself to follow it let alone follow through with it yeah plays a huge role so like you can somebody could be telling you that you should go do this thing and you're like oh, i don't think that that's the right way to go about it and you're like i feel like i should do this but if you don't trust yourself a lot of times any any man that finds himself indecisive i've had a lot of clients men that like who are even honestly unfortunately leading other men and, sh- and necessarily shouldn't be, un- indes- very indecisive. And it's because they don't trust themselves. So uh, that immediately removes your ability to really follow your intuition or have the courage to. Now, maybe there's this uh, element of it where if your faith and your belief in God's source and the guidance that – uh, that you are provided and, and how you're supported and your spirituality is very deep then maybe maybe but intuitionally points you in the direction doesn't give you all the steps mm. that's the difference yeah, that's- and so you can follow your intuition and You like and know okay this is the direction I'm going to go I'm going to pursue this but the how has to be done through actions consistent actions done long enough in order to see the results yeah and most people struggle there both men and women everybody looks like they have their shit together dude and not like a very high percentage are struggling with that exact thing and so your intuition becomes even more valuable the more you actually build your own ability to make and keep your agreements and layer on more self-trust and more belief because then it's like, cool. I got the direction. I'm sprinting zero, zero gap and, and and no hesitation. Like that's for me, that's where, where I'm personally at is like, okay, if something feels good, there's, it's really like no, and sometimes it's, it's scary, but there's no thought. It's like, cool, we're going to do this, this, and this, and we just are changing direction. Here yeah. we go.
0: Cause you're kind of in tune now, like you're in tune, yeah, and, yeah, and you're not afraid to take those take those steps.
1: Yeah, because I know that I'm going to follow through and execute on them. And
0: and if you fuck up, you'll take responsibility, you know. Because yeah. obviously, like it's not going to be a perfect road to where you know, your intuition is following you. So if you do fuck up, you're going to take responsibility. You're going to learn from your mistakes, bada bing, bada boom. And you're on, you're, you're on your way, you know? Yep. Yep. So yeah, your system really does. It, it, I like it, bro. Yeah. Thank you. Got, you. you got appreciate a good, it. You I got a really I, good I, philosophy behind you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to get it in more people's hands and, and use it to create a lot more change in people's lives. Cause I really do believe in it. Um, the one last thing I'll say on the intuition. Uh, so a lot of people think like, Oh, like until I'm making this much money, people aren't gonna listen to me. And, and to an extent, like, like money, that, yeah. money does give you more authority. Like I have, I check every other box, but I don't have a shit ton of money yet. I own a company that's worth $3 million, but that doesn't, it's not something that makes me wealthy right now, right? Um, so, but our first investor, Stefan Georgi, right? When we were starting to interview uh, app developers, we interviewed the guys that made the Netflix app and uh, the Nike app, Starbucks, the weather app, fucking all, all any of the apps that we have on our phone. We interviewed so many people. And eventually he had us get on with some of his guys that he owns another company with that are app developers. And pretty much anybody up to that point was no, 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 no. Even though they had so much on paper looked really good. My gut was telling me no, and we get on with his guys, and it was screaming no. Really, and it's coming from a trusted source. But I got off, and and my other two partners, uh, Joey and Braxton, were both like, and I'm like, I'm sorry, guys, but, and they trust me spiritually, like they they know that I'm a little bit uh, more connected, and I'm like, it's a fuck no, it's a fuck no, dude. And I can't explain it. And I hope you don't ask me to because I can't, but it's a, it's a hard no. And I'm like, okay. And then we, we called Stefan to let him know. And he immediately was like, if it's intuition, then he's like, nobody's ever been upset about following, like nobody's ever regretted following their gut. And so I say all that to say that, uh, uh, um, actual millionaire, somebody that has made millions and millions and millions of dollars and consistently makes millions of dollars, trusts in his intuition and follows it and also trusts other people following in their intuition, knowing that if you do that, as long as you actually follow through and you take the consistent action and things of that nature, nothing can go wrong. You'll never regret following your intuition because it's guidance from a higher source that knows way more than you do. Mm. And so it doesn't need to make sense logically, but that's also where people who are far more logical, like like Joey uh, is very analytical. He's, and he's, he's still connected to his intuition still absolutely follows it. But he, he, because he now understands himself, he's able to navigate that more. But people that are super analytical and super on the logical side struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, And, and as they have their spiritual development, that's when they start to, to teeter and develop that where they can learn to balance it too. but, for me, I'm I'm not so much. I am much more on the the creative side, yeah. And so I I it hasn't been as much of a challenge for me. Besides like my own beliefs and rebellion against religion and shit growing up and stuff. So that's kind of like where your own journey plays a role in that.
0: Gotcha, man. Man, there, there's so much I could talk about with you. I feel like I feel like I could sit here all night. Um, I mean, I'll
1: just have to come back. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I'll definitely, I would definitely love to do this again, bro. Um, okay. You got any final thoughts, man? Like, it, it, what are some goals you have for your system for your for your program? With I believe in you, like, what are just some some things you got planned for the future that we can kind of recap?
1: Really, the the KTG system, I just want to continue to validate. Uh, I really just believe that no matter what change you're trying to create in your life the simplicity, like simplicity scales, right? Simplicity is what's sustainable. And so I really think that I've figured something out that can truly help both men and women. I'm just focused on men right now, but I'm about to launch something for women as well Um, because I do have a way, like a lot of my clients have been women. So uh, eventually I'll work with both in that. But it's, it very much supports IBIY because what it's building manually is belief, and yeah. so we can give you a brace all day. We can tell you I believe in you. And, and that absolutely does offer some very powerful support. A great reminder every time you look down on your wrist. But when you walk into a business meeting or an opportunity presents itself or you find yourself unhappy and you're looking for uh, direction, uh, like belief is what's needed. Belief is, is a requirement of success. And so if I can give people a roadmap, to build that shit to unshakable levels that I have finally gotten to and can very confidently say and, and know that it was done manually, then the only thing I have to do is support people in the right way for them to do it long enough for them to build it themselves. And so that's really like i remember what it was like standing in the mirror feeling disappointed angry at myself not believing myself not trusting myself wanting to tell every... myself oh my god wanting to t- tell myself i'd start monday fucking over and over and over again and on monday either i wouldn't or i would but within a week or two i'd i'd fall off and the the level of of just really depression that it, and and doubt and self-defeating thoughts And just, like, low vibration that it created within me, I want to help as many people as I can not suffer like I did.
0: Yeah, bro. I I, I personally feel like the personal development, everything you're teaching is, like, the cornerstone to everything, you know, because it's, like, I kind of, uh, I wrote this out on, like, a journal of mine, but I wrote out, like, personal development is my number one focus in my life by far and away because if I don't have that, I can't serve my family can't serve god can't serve mm-hmm. you anybody else man like if i'm weak and i'm um, don't have any belief in myself i'm just all of those things like there's nothing i could do for anybody so before anything bro like what you're teaching i feel like has to come first you know that belief the discipline the whole the whole nine you know i feel I like it all. it's kind that. of an umbrella of like personal development you know and self-belief so i, I really do think what you're doing is amazing bro Thank and you. Uh, i'm always going to be rocking with you and supporting you going forward bro and uh Man, I don't don't have anything else for today, but once again, I appreciate you, brother, and uh, look forward to catching up again in the future, man.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Peace out, guys.